sight sound angels are the sound angel songs and all this for a king we could join and sing all to Christ the King how constant how divine the song of ours will rise oh how constant how divine of ours will rise, rise, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, He is holy, He is holy, turn gates to heaven, praise, joy.
just give you all the praise and honor today, Lord. Continue to me pray. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated, but before you do, go and greet somebody that you have never greeted before. Move around.
Well, hello again. Uh, welcome to the JAR. Um, we're just really glad to see you here today. I'm Derek. I work here. Um, yeah, just really happy to see everybody's faces today. Uh, a few announcements before we get started. First is, if you look in your program, there's a card that looks like that. It is that card. Um, if you can just fill that out, whether you're new here, whether you've been here uh, for years, um, it just helps us just to get to know you a little bit better if you're new. Um, if you've been here, it just helps us to update information. And there's a place on the back where you can uh, check places you would want to get involved or comments, suggestions, prayer requests. Um, so, yeah, if you are here, you should fill this out. And just when the offering comes by, just drop it in that bag, and it's, it's real easy. That's all you got to do. Um, so, yes, drop this, the Connect card, in the offering. Uh, next, the life course is today, immediately following the celebration. Um, I believe it's in the conference room, yes. Um, yeah, if you just go, it's that room in between the two hallways. And it's for anybody that's interested in becoming a partner here at the JAR. Um, if, if that even rings a bell, you're like, I want to know what that is, or you know what it is, and you're like, well, I want to do that, um, this is for you. So just come to the conference room immediately following celebration, and we'll have the live course today. Um, we'll give you some more information, uh, let you know what the next steps are. So, yeah, if you're interested in becoming a partner here, just immediately after celebration in the conference room, and you'll be good. Um, also, on Tuesdays uh, at 6.30 at Patty Moore's house, um, there's Grief Share uh, Study Group. Um, this is just where you can just uh, share about things you're grieving about, mourning about. It's, it's a great place just to, to open up with other people and just share what's on your heart. Um, and I encourage anybody who may be interested in that, um, just look in your program for more details. Um, there's plenty in there. There's a phone number, an address. Stuff like that. And if that's for you, I really encourage you to maybe think about doing that. So, yeah, Grief Share, Tuesdays at 6.30. Um, also, we're going to be doing, we did this last summer, too, and it's so much fun. Uh, we call it Community Cookouts, and it's with small groups. And basically, uh, it is what it says. There's going to be uh, cookouts, grilled food. That's why I go for food. Um, uh, yeah, if you are in a small group already, uh, you don't need to sign up for this. Um, just be listening or uh, keeping an ear open for your small group leader. Um, we'll be giving them more information soon. Um, if you are not in a small group and you would like to be a part of this or like to be in a small group, uh, there is a sign-up sheet in the back at the connections table. Um, just write your name. It's got some information, stuff like best night of the week that would work for you. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. We just hang out. We eat food. We have fellowship. It's great. So uh, those will be from June 20th to June 26th. Um, so it's a little ways off. We just wanted to Put the bug in your ear so you just know about it. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be giving you more information as the dates get closer. And then also, the Jar Kids Marathon is this coming Saturday. Um, it's going to be at the new Ball State Recreation Center. It's that big building. If you drive down, uh, was that Neely? Yeah. Um, we're going to be from 9 to 11, just passing out bracelets. Um, it's just a real easy way just to share love and just to, uh, yeah, just pass out bracelets. It's real fun. Um, if that's something you'd be interested in or you want to know more about it, you want to know where that's at, where we're meeting, stuff like that, uh, I encourage you to look in your program or sign up at the connections table in the back, which is directly in front of me, uh, straight down this little path right here. Um, yeah, because we could use the help and just anybody that wants to volunteer, um, I encourage you to do so. So we will now take an offering. Um, I just... Uh, if you're new here, we don't want you to feel pressured uh, to give us your money. Just keep your wallets in your pockets, your purses on the ground. Don't feel pressured like you have to give us your money. Um, but I'm going to pray for the offering, and uh, we're going to see a video after that, I do believe. So if you could, um, 
Just pray with me. Well, Father, we just we come to you today, um, just yeah, just worshiping you and just want to glorify you, and we want to do that in our giving and also just opening our hearts to uh, to what Chris has to say, what you have to say through him, Lord. So just be with us, and uh, God, we just thank you for today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Ever since Chris told us to relax a bit and uh, quit working so much because we work so hard, uh, me and Mikey have had a little bit too much time on our hands. Because we get so bored, Derek and I just started pranking each other a little bit. Oh, it was all good humor at first. It was harmless stuff like switching the decaf with the regular coffee and dumb stuff like that. But then Derek took it to the next level. Hey, Derek. Hey, Mikey. And then the jar office war 2011 was spawned. Oh, I started it? Really? January 16, 2011. I was just minding my own business. I come into my office and mysteriously all my stuff is wrapped in tinfoil. Oh, Mikey. Well, Derek seems to be forgetting about February 11th of 2011. He switched the autocorrect on my computer, so every time I tried to type my name, it would just spell out poop face. Derek, I just sent an important message that said poop face on it. Poop face. Well, Derek started a Facebook page that I'm a Justin Bieber fan, which is not true. Uh, anymore. He wrapped my door in saran wrap so I couldn't get in. Oh! Mikey! Yeah, I didn't really think about that one too much. We share an office. But it was still worth it. Look, who started it is neither here nor there. Everything taken into account, I'd say the bulk of injustice has been done to me. People are concerned about the work ethic of our youth. That video shows why they should be um, right there. Well, hey guys, good morning. Uh, welcome to the jar. We're so glad that you're here this morning. And today we are concluding uh, our series called Life is Too Short. And this morning I want to begin by looking at two uh, key words. Uh, two words that I think are essential uh, for us if we're going to live a healthy and balanced life. Now, these are words that um, are not always used in our culture as much today, but for Jesus, they were really important words. And uh, here's the first word. The first word is the word abound. Not rebound, okay? Abound. Abound. Now, abound means to overflow, to be full, to excel, to have uh, tremendous energy for the work that God has called you to do. 
And Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and uh, is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, um, actually talked about this word abound as he writes to a church in Corinth, which is kind of uh, present-day Las Vegas. And uh, as he writes, this is what he says. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. And here's the word. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord or knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, Paul is saying, throw yourself into your work. In another of his letters, he writes this, whatever you do, in other words, whatever your job is, work at it with all your heart. In other words, give everything that you've got, as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. And the idea here that God is trying to give to us is that everybody has work to do. Whether you're paid or whether you're not paid. Whether you volunteer or whether you're retired. Whether you work in an office or a factory or you work uh, at a church. Whether you go to school, whether you are in your home, whether you're in the neighborhood. Part of how God made us, folks, is to contribute, to create to produce value, and to make the world a better place. Uh, Recently, my uh, Bible study time has been in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, it's a hard word to spell, but it's a uh, a cool book. And it's in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. It's only 12 chapters long, and it's about a lot of wise sayings. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't read that book, uh, that you would. It's Ecclesiastes, just 12 chapters. Uh, chapters. And one of these wise sayings comes here, and I'd like us all to read this together as it comes on the screen. Let's read it together. Whatever your hand finds for you... Okay, let's do that with all of our might, okay? Uh, Let's do it like with all of our might, okay? Let's try it again. Whatever your hand finds for you to do, do it with all of your might. Yeah, do it with all of your might. Don't punch a time clock, just do it, the writer says. Have uh, any of you ever been to a place before where the people who were there were not abounding in their work? Any of you Chicago Cubs fans? (laughs) True story. A few years ago, at the end of the season, Bruce Kim, who was the uh, manager for half of the season, Um, had to call a special team meeting of all of his players because one of his players was sleeping during a game. I mean, the game's going on, and this guy who's in uniform, who's on the roster, is asleep. Dead asleep. Folks, that is not abounding, okay? That's not doing what your hand finds for you to do and to do it with all of your mind. When Paul considers this word abound, he says things like this, I fought the good fight. It was painful at times, it was difficult at times, but I plunged through, I worked myself through, I ran the race all the way to the end. I was full throttle to the end. He says, I've kept the faith. I've 
left everything I can on the field. Folks, at the end of our lives, what God's greatest desire for you and for me is, is for us to be able to say, God, I abounded in the work that you gave me to do. It may or may not have looked very impressive to other people around you. And I didn't do it perfectly. I was short from it. But God, I abounded. All that my energy had, I gave for you. I tried to work with all of my heart as though I was working for you, God. I tried to abound in what you gave me. I really want that. I want to grow. I want to risk. I want to make a mark. I want to abound. But that's not all that I want to do. You see, the other key word in this healthy, balanced life is that we abound, but also that we abide. And that's the second word there, to abide. To abide means to remain, to dwell, to linger with, to live life as you're always connected with God. Jesus put it this way. He said, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, folks, people can't abide all by themselves. You can't accomplish good good things. You can't become the kind of person that you long to be just by trying really hard. And so Jesus says, you must abide. Just as a vine is connected to the branch, you must be connected and abiding with Jesus. Now, we don't use this word a whole lot. You don't find people, you know, hanging out at Applebee's going, Amen, you abide lately? You know, they just don't do that. But it's a really important word, and it's an important word that Jesus gives to us. Because it's that, that moment in which we can be intimate with God. Loving. Unhurried. Peaceful. Just kind of this ongoing relationship with God. To be with Him. To just listen for His voice. You know, I I want to abide with God. I really do. I want to have quiet moments with God. I want to be a person of deep prayer. I want to be a fully authentic person that when people look at me, they go, wow, that's a real guy. I'd like to experience life deeply. I don't want to be just a driven, obsessed kind of person. I don't want to live in this frenzied, frantic world at a pace that is beyond my capability. I want to be an outstanding husband. I want to be a really good dad. I want to have close moments with my two girls. I want to have my mind formed more by Scripture than it is by television. And Jesus says, you can do that. And He says, this is the way you do it. He put it this way. He said, come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, folks, on one hand, we want to abound. I want to run the race. I want to fight a good fight. I want to throw myself into the work that God has for me, whatever it is. I want to grow. I want to risk. I want to sacrifice. I want to do everything I can. I want to leave everything at the end of my life on the field for the cause of Christ. I want to abound. And on the other hand, I want to abide. I want to walk deeply with God. I want to know Him intimately. I want to listen to His voice. I want to hear those experiences. I want to have goosebumps when I feel His presence in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be content. I want to be still and know that there's a God. I want to abound, but I also want to abide. I don't know about you, though. What I've found in my own personal life is that this is the most difficult tension that I can experience. It's very, very difficult to abound in God and abide, or abound in the work of God and abide in the presence of God. But I want to do that. You know, my job involves a lot of communicating, uh, and I want to be the best speaker, I want to be the best teacher. I want to be the best I can be for people who take time out of their uh, Sundays to come here, that they leave with something that God would uh, speak and use throughout the rest of the week. I want to give my best to the people who are closest to me, to my family, to the staff, to the leadership team, to all of you who are in the church, to other churches that people call me to come and teach at. And this is very, very personal to me. And each Tuesday at 9 a.m., you can see uh, Derek and Mikey and uh, Chuck Mock, who oversees our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and myself evaluating every single thing that happens here on Sunday. We take it seriously, and I take it personal. And a couple of months ago, uh, I had given a teaching, and it just didn't feel like it really kind of connected with people. And I was feeling kind of discouraged. And so we sit down as a team and everyone's kind of sharing their perspective. And uh, Chuck Mock, you know, the one uh, who I turn to often, looks at me and says, yeah, I didn't get much out of it either. (laughs) And I said, could you just tell me how you really feel, you know? Uh, But these guys are quite honest and quite frank, and when I say stupid things or I do stupid things, which happens if you've been here long enough at the jar, they tell me about it. And when I'm fouling the ball off, and when I'm not hitting consistently messages that God is able to use to move in your life, I invite their criticism and they tell me about it. Because this is the thing with me, folks. I want the standards for my life higher than the standards of anyone else of what they give to me. Because this is one race. I only get one race. This is the only race I have. And I want to run it the best way that I can. I want to do the thing that God created me to do. That I was born to do. This is my race. I'll never have another one. This isn't Chuck's race, he has his own. This isn't Derek's race, he has his own. 
This isn't the lead team's race. They have their own. This isn't your race, folks, but you have your own. This is the only race that I'm ever going to get, and I want to run it really, really well. But then you put other pressures in my life, especially in this season of my life. My wife, Jennifer, uh, as many of you know, uh, is a physician in our community, and I had to go Lamech on some people last week. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ask somebody later on, okay? She didn't win the little thing. But there was a little kid, for those of you who were here last week, uh, he went to his teacher this week, and Lamech was kind of a bad guy in the Bible, for those of you uh, who weren't here. First guy to bring polygamy into Scripture. And uh, he was at his uh, daycare, and uh, he goes up to his teacher and he goes, I'm going to go Lamech on you. And I thought, oh, man. Out of everything that he could remember, you know, that was the... But he was listening, you know, he really was. Well, Jennifer, one of the things in my life is that, you know, she, she's a physician and she trains residents, uh, future doctors, and she's around guys often who are in their 20s. And so i got to stay buff, you know, <laughs> to kind of keep up with her. That's one of the pressures. I have two kids. Uh, one's a four-year-old, one's a two-year-old. And I wrestle with stuff. I mean, I really do. Am I spending enough time with them? Do I hang out with them enough? Do I put work above them? You see, I realize that one day they're going to be teenagers, and they're going to go off to college, and they're going to date when they're 40. (laughs) And um, people tell me all the time, who've been parents longer than me, they say, Chris, cherish the time because it goes so, so fast. You see, I want to be with my girls. So about a month ago, uh, a friend of mine does this daddy-daughter dance in Delville at uh, Delville Elementary School. And um, I took both of them. I think we have a picture here. And um, I'm really concerned about, you know, their eating habits, too, and that they're eating healthy. And so afterwards, I took them to Gene's Root Beer Stand in Anderson. (laughs) Because I'm so concerned. But folks, I want my girls to have the best that they can have. I want to have tons of memories uh, when I'm older. I don't want to pile up a whole bunch of regrets one day, because I was just way too busy for them. And those moments, they go by so fast. Our daughter Jordan uh, turned four uh, on Monday, and we had her party yesterday. And I was just sitting there, you know, and you have one of those moments, you're like, ah, man, she's already four. I remember when I was holding her in my arms. You see, I wrestled with work. We all have work that God calls us to do. Mine involves talking about God, reading His words, talking about prayer, how people are to spiritually grow, and you would think that I would automatically just be uh, growing spiritually right off the chart. And in so many ways, my job is extremely helpful, but I'll tell you what, it's very dangerous too. I often ask myself, 
after a Sunday when I'm driving home, do I really believe what I just communicated? You see, sometimes the truth about Chris Bunches is that I just like to be successful in my job. And I like you guys to like me. And sometimes I have to take a step back and say, is my work, am I doing it as unto the Lord? So I experienced this tension between abounding and abiding. And it's very deep. And so for the rest of our time, what I'd like to do is just give you some observations about this whole thing of abounding and abiding. The first observation is kind of in a question, and here's the question. When can I expect the tension between abounding and abiding to go away? When can I expect the tension between abounding and abiding to go away? Anybody want to take a guess? When you die. Yeah, when you die. Interesting enough, folks, Jesus wrestled with these two things constantly. Scripture tells us that one of the first things he does publicly for his ministry is he gets baptized, and then he is taken into a wilderness by God through the Holy Spirit for 40 days and 40 nights where he is left in solitude, praying, fasting, being with God alone. He has him immediately just go and abide with his father. Then he begins his work, and soon there are people that are coming to him from all over the region. People are coming from foreign countries to see this teacher healer, to see if he's the real thing. Is he legit? And it's very draining and very taxing, and he's worn out. So at the beginning of his ministry, in the first chapter of Mark, which uh, is the second book of the uh, New Testament, Mark writes about Jesus, and this is what he says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed alone. He's abiding. Now, he does that for a little while, and pretty soon, uh, one of his other uh, disciples come to him, a guy by the name of Peter, and he comes up to him and says, Where have you been? People are waiting for you. They want to see you. And you don't have a Facebook page. You don't have a uh, cell phone. You're not text capable. Uh, You don't have a fax machine. You don't have an email. There is no electronic leash to you, Jesus. How are we supposed to find you? And it's very interesting that Jesus could have said, but he didn't, but he easily could have said, Hey, Peter, get off my back. I'm abiding. I'm hanging out with God. Leave me alone. But at that moment, he says, all right, let's go. Let's go to the next village and the village after that. And so he goes and he begins to teach and he abounds. He abides and then he abounds. And Jesus' whole life, folks, is this rhythm between abounding and abiding. Abounding in the work that the Father has for him, and abiding in the love and quiet moments that he has with the Father. And every single human being 
who is interested in following this Jesus has to find the rhythm and the balance between abounding and abiding. Juliet Shores is a researcher and she wrote a, a classic book called The Overworked American. And one of her statements, it was a 20-year kind of project, and she said that in the last few decades, the average U.S. worker has added the equivalent of one more month of work. She states the average American worker has added over 160 hours over a month of work in the past few decades. Another researcher, Arlie Hotschild, found that the typical average husband and wife couple together work 90 hours each week outside the home. And in addition to that, what happens in the work, she writes that the average husband actually spends more time doing work in the house than the average wife. Okay, I made that up, okay? She didn't really write that. Tried to slip one in there on the radar. Guess it didn't work. I, all these women, all of a sudden, their face start going. Hey, let's leave. I'm tired of this bunch. Now, folks, I fully intend to be in this tension of abounding and abiding until the day that I die. Because what I found in my life, and maybe you have too, is that I'll go for a season of my life and things seem to be balanced and healthy and then all of a sudden something changes. It changes at work, it changes at home, it changes in my spiritual life. And I need a different arrangement, a different routine than what I've done before. That has gotten too old. I have to do something different. And you and I have to wrestle with this concept of abounding and abiding until the day we die. But if we don't, folks, we'll never really go for it. We'll just be that person who sits on the sideline while everyone else is enjoying the game. Now, here's the second observation I have. It's also in the form of a question, and uh, here it goes. Who is responsible? Who is responsible for getting the tension between abounding and abiding right? When it comes right down to it, who is responsible for that? Want to take a guess? I am. I'm responsible. And who's responsible for you getting this right? No, I'm not. Okay? The guy up here said you are. No. I'm not responsible. Who's responsible? You're responsible. Not your boss, not your spouse, not your pastor. Not your parents, not the company that you work for, not the organization. It's you. I say this because it boggles my mind to the extent that people will seek to delegate responsibility for their one and only life, which goes by so fast, and life is so short, and people end up not living the lives that they were intended to, not abounding in the work, not abiding in what God's love is for them, that they'll talk about it being somebody else's responsibility. That if someone else just arranged my life, 
that it would be fine. And folks, this delegating to someone else starts out so young. Ken Davis, who's a um, comedian and author, talks about this very thing that he uh, actually saw in the life of his young daughter at the time, Tracy. He has this small little daughter, and his goal is to try to get her to bed one night. And she turns into an excuse factory. This is what he writes. Go to bed, I told my daughter. She's stalling. Daddy, does God talk to us? Yes, God talks to us. Tracy, go to sleep. We'll discuss that in the morning. Being a fool, I imagined that that would satisfy her. No, we must do it now, she yelled back. God just spoke to me. Before I could frame an uh, appropriate theological response, she said, He said, I can get up. Tracy, go to bed, I commanded. I need a drink of water, she shot back. The verbal sparring match began. You can't have a water. Why? You'll wet the bed. I quit wetting the bed. How do you respond so quickly when you're that age? Do they have a game plan? Do they pull random thoughts out of the air? Is this the cause of original sin? But I wasn't whipped quite yet. You didn't quit wetting the bed, I countered. You wet the bed last night. She was quick. No, the cat did it. She said it without hesitation, without blinking. Maybe she's a lawyer. I ignored the opportunity to laugh. Instead, I made my move to protect my authority. Don't tell me a cat did it, I bellowed. The spot on your bed was the size of a pizza. We only have a tiny little kitty. It it was another cat. She was a true professional. She was the best. She was going to be a lawyer. And she was shocked, shocked that I wouldn't believe her. So I grabbed her by the shoulders and I said, look me in the eye. Tell me the truth. Her bottom lip began to quiver. A huge tear welled up in her eyes. I'm sorry, Daddy. She sobbed. But a big giant cat did come into the screen off my window and jumped in the bed. He wet on the bed. Then he jumped out the window. Sensing my skepticism, she continued. He put the screen back on after he left. That was still there. I was speechless. He was a big cat. She appended during my keeping silent. I was coming to a slow boil. I can't believe you would lie to me, I scolded her. I want you to go straight up to your bed, and I don't want to hear another peep from you. I learned that from my father. Evidently, though, such things and their power does not go down generation to generation. Because I could still hear her in the room having these tiny little peep noises making them. Then after a few more moments of precious, lovely silence, a defiant little voice screeched from the bedroom, Daddy, I want my water now! 
The gauntlet had been thrown down. My parental authority was up for grabs. I had only one option. I called on the sacred and hallowed words of parents from across the reaches of time. If I hear one more word out of you, I'm going upstairs and I'm going to spank you. When you come, she said, bring the water. You see, folks, we all are just a little excuse factory. And it starts so early. And people, folks, will go through their whole lives never abounding in the work that God has for them and never abiding in the love that God has for them. Rather, they just find one excuse after another excuse after another about why they can't live like that. So many people live a life saying that it's the responsibility of someone else to arrange it correctly. As if somehow it's okay not to make sure that my life's running that way because I can blame someone else for it not happening the way that it should. It's because of my boss. It's because of my spouse. It's because of my job. It's because of my organization. It's because of whatever. But the reality is, folks, God will stand in front of you one day, and you will stand in front of God, and He will ask you the question, did you abound in the work that I gave to you, and did you abide? Did you spend quiet moments with me? Folks, this is your one and only chance. This life is the only chance to abound in whatever God has given you to work in and to abide in the love that He has for you, to grow deeply with Him. Here's my third observation. How do I assess the level of abounding and abiding in my life? How do I assess it? This morning, I want to give you a tool of how you can assess this this morning and throughout the rest of your life. And uh, I would encourage you, if you would, to, uh, as it comes on the screen, it won't yet, but as we kind of do this, uh, you can draw it underneath your teaching notes because this is something uh, I think you might want to keep. This whole concept that we're going to do uh, comes from a guy by the name of James Lord. And he had this concept of spiritual energy. And he said that uh, our spiritual energy has a couple of dimensions to it. On the left there, you can see that uh, our spiritual energy is either high or low. And then it either creates positive or negative kind of dimensions uh, to it. And so what happens is this leaves us in four quadrants. The first one is up in that top left-hand corner. And uh, in this first quadrant uh, is the concept of being motivated. That there is high energy, and it's very positive, and so I feel motivated. When I'm in quadrant one, I find myself motivated to do certain things. It's a hopeful kind of quadrant. Now, in the second quadrant, which is right below it, is where I have 
uh, low energy, but it's positive. And uh, when my spiritual energy is uh, low, but it's very positive, I feel relaxed. I feel quite content. I feel very serene. Now, moving to the right side of this uh, kind of quadrant, up in the upper right-hand corner, I have um, high energy, but it's negative. Anyone want to take a guess what those two words are? Fear and anger. I feel fearful and I am angry when I have high energy, but it's negative. And then the fourth quadrant, right below it, this is where you have negative kind of energy and it is very low. And this is what leads to depression. We feel depressed when our spirit is both negative and very low. You know, the reality is, folks, that we live in these four quadrants. You do, I do. We're always in one of these boxes. Your life never includes all of them. You're always in one of these. Now, take a look at this for a moment. Which of these four boxes do you want to be in when you go to work? Now, I didn't say which one you are when you get to work. I didn't say what you feel like when you're at work, okay? But when you're going to work and you're at work, what do you, which of these four quadrants do you want to be in? The one in the upper left, right? You want to be motivated. Well, let me tell you a little secret at this point. We don't work for money. We don't. At the end of the day, you don't work for your paycheck. You know what you work for? You work for the opportunity and the experience to be in the upper left-hand corner every single day of your life. We don't work primarily for money. We work for the experience of being in quadrant one. We work for the flow of doing good things. And one of the primary indicators of being in quadrant one is that you have this ongoing flow of energy and creativity and you feel this sense of every morning is a great morning because I'm going in to be motivated and to work to abound with God. You just find yourself stimulated and you think, how can I grow today? How can I learn? How can I improve things around here? How can I be a more life-giving person to the people in my work environment? How can I help somebody else? How can I encourage a co-worker? How can I motivate someone? How can I take a challenging problem and figure out a way to solve it? And folks, we live in quadrant one, and we need moments like that. But the reality is, folks, we do not live there all the time. You can't. Nobody can. Now, at the same time, if you look at the center kind of line down in the middle, none of us want to live our lives on the right side of that center line. Nobody wants to spend all of their moments there. Nobody wants to spend all of their days there. But there are people who spend most of their lives on the right side. I want you to know this morning, God does not intend for you to live on the right side of that center line. 
In fact, the experiences that you have when you're on the right side in quadrant three and four should be warning signs to you that there's something in your life that isn't quite right. Something's amiss. Something's gone awry. But it's not a place for you to sit down and settle into. And if you find yourself there, one of the things that I would encourage you, if you're there this morning, the thing I would encourage you is to take this little quadrant and take it home with you and throughout this week, put it in your purse or put it in your wallet or somewhere where every once in a while, every few hours in the day, you pull it out and you say, where am I? Where am I at? Which of these quadrants do I find myself in? And just remember that as you do this, that it is God's desire that you not be on the right side of that center line. God's will for you is to be on the left. In fact, these two quadrants on the left-hand side deal with the two words that we've been talking about today. When you see the top one there on the left-hand side, where there's high energy and it's positive, and you feel motivated, which word is that? Abound or abide? What? Abound. And when you have positive energy, but it's kind of low, you feel, in the second one, relaxed, which is abide. And the best rhythm that you can have in your life is that you abound and you abide. You're in quadrant one. You're in quadrant two. Jesus spent his entire life in these two quadrants. Abounding in the work that God gave for him and abiding in the love that God had for him. Here's our final observation. What are the practices I need in place in my life, to help me keep abounding and abiding. So what are those practices that you need in your life to continue to abound and abide? I want you to know that abounding and abiding don't happen automatically. You just don't wake up and say, okay, I'm going to just do this. And as we begin to enter the summer here shortly, One of the things that I want to encourage you to do is to ask yourself the question, what is it in my life that I need to move around to change a little bit so that as I go into the summer and as I begin the summer, that there will be a structure in my life in which I am practicing regularly abounding and abiding. Now, Christians have done this for centuries and centuries, And uh, this first practice that I'm going to give you is one that is huge, and it's called solitude. The discipline of solitude. You see, Jesus did this himself often, and his followers did as well. They set aside these chunks of time in which it was just them and God, setting aside time where they were meeting with God just by themselves. Any of you ever get tired of how noisy the world is? Just like, it feels like constant noise. And you're in this frantic, kind of frenzied pace. You're busy. People ask, hey, how you doing? Busy? How are you ever going to get free of the pressure that people put on you and your job? 
How, how will that ever make any difference? That's my phone, by the way. What an idiot. Anyways, but how are you going to do that? You've got to have them solitude. When Jesus would go to be alone with the Father, this is what Jesus would hear constantly. This is what he'd hear. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I just want to ask you something. This happens in Mark, verse 8. How many things has Jesus done to hear from his Father that he's well pleased with him? Nothing. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't taught anybody. He hasn't done any miracle. He hasn't done anything. You know what that tells me? That God the Father is very well pleased when we spend time alone with Him one-on-one in solitude. His Father is so pleased. He says, whatever everybody else thinks of you, whether the crowds are cheering for you or running away from you, whether they're saying crown Him or crucify Him, you are my beloved Son. I love you no matter what. Nothing will ever change that. But I just want you to know this, folks. You can't hear those words unless you spend time alone with Him. A few years ago, I realized that my life was so noisy and things were going at such a fast pace and the church had had grown just remarkably from where we were. And I, I just knew that I had to get into this thing called solitude. And so I waited for a free day to come up to do that. And guess how long I waited? It never happened. And what I discovered, folks, is if you want to have time alone with God, I have to put it in my calendar. In fact, if you looked at my calendar this week, you would find that on one of the days, I just simply put time alone with God. Because that appointment is very, very important for me to abound and abide connecting with Him. And uh, so once a quarter, I go somewhere all by myself and I am just alone with God. Nothing infringes on that time. And I would encourage you this morning as you enter summer that you decide that I'm going to take that challenge and do that. And I'm not telling that you should be heroic and say I'm going to do a day. Some of you, you take five minutes and you're like, I'm done, you know. But do something. Commit to something. One minute in the morning, two minutes in the morning, whatever it is, say, I'm giving some time alone to God today. Start with just a few moments. Sometimes what I'll do, staff will tell you, at lunch, I don't want to eat with them. I see them all the time. I'll get in my car and I drive to a woods. I don't know who owns it, so I hope I never get kicked out. But I drive by myself, and I sit in a car, and I eat my Subway sandwich, and I just hang out with God. But it doesn't just happen, folks. You have to make it happen. Here's the second practice. It is the discipline of assembly. The discipline of assembly. The Bible says this, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. 
Every Sunday, we meet here in this gym, and we will do this throughout the summer, okay? And we teach God's words, and uh, we pray that lives would be changed, and lives are. And the reason why I tell people why they should be here is not because we want high attendance or we want a little star to put by your name or, you know, you get a certificate. We don't give certificates anyway, so that doesn't help. But the reason I tell people you should be here is because God just might show up in the seat that you're sitting in today and He may do something. And if you're not here, you don't get to experience that. That's why it's important to be consistent and regular in your attendance. And let me just say, for those of you who have small children, it is so important that you consistently bring them to this place. The reason is because they think God lives here. Jordan told me one time, she goes, oh, we're going to God's house today because she thinks he lives in the YMCA gym. And all of a sudden, when you're not consistent with that, and you wait a month or two, all of a sudden, kids begin to start questioning, what is that? What's that about? Kids needs consistency. It's the best way that kids grow, is consistent environments. Last thing. You live in community. You live in community. Community, being a part of a small group. The Bible says this, be devoted to each other like a loving family. I love that phrase, be devoted. What it means is that you are committed to the people who are around you as much as you are committed to Jesus Christ himself. And small groups is where this happens, folks. We can't love on you and care for you enough the way that a small group can on a Sunday morning. And that's why the Bible says this. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I love that phrase. No one left out, no one left behind. You see, the goal of small groups, folks, the goal of the jar is that no one ever stands alone. When there are moments of your life in which they're high and they're huge and they're wonderful, you don't stand alone. When there are low moments and discouraging moments and you feel like you're all by yourself, no one stands alone. And you can't do that unless you get in community. And that's why we're doing community cookouts this summer. We want everyone to go to one of these cookouts. Sign up today and just say, I'm going to one. If there are weird people at that one, sign up the next time and go to a different one, you know? But be a part of this. All we're going to do, no one's going to ask you, do you know Jesus, and ask you 500 scripture verses. They're just going to cook hamburgers. And they want you to come and be a part of that. And uh, the third week of June is when we're going to do that. Pick out a day and just go and be a part of it. You know, I have a dream for our church one day. And my dream is, is that all of us will kind of be together in a group, and hopefully many more, and we'll be there, and God will be standing in front of us, and He'll say, Jarheads, 
You abounded in my work. You took big risks. You gave much to the poor. You had big dreams. You rolled up your sleeves. You got out of your comfort zone. You abounded in my work. You also abided in my love. You spent time together. You prayed together. You were by yourself, alone, in moments, by yourself, listening to my voice. You formed deep relationships. You entered into community. You abounded in my work, and you abided in my love. And I'll tell you, my greatest hope, I hope the legacy I live when I am dead and gone, and the jar is still continuing on, and lives are being changed in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana, people will look and they'll say, Chris Bunch, you know what? The one thing that he taught us more than anything else was to abound in the work that God has given directly to you and to abide in the love that God has for you. Let's stand for closing prayer. Prayer team, if you'll come up, uh, if you guys have any prayer uh, needs after this, um, please come on up. Make sure you sign up, though, for a community cookout before you leave today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for calling the people that you called today to be in this place. And would you help us to be people who abound in the wonderful things that you ask us to do and to abide in the depth, in the richness, in the stillness of your love. Help us to be people, God, today who abound in your work and who abide in your love so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. And sign up for a cookout.